how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Robert Kraskowski appreciates movies that are entertaining but still say something. Over the past decade, he's been working as a storyteller, creating shorts, producing films, and writing as a journalist. In his directorial debut, The Creative has combined science fiction fantasy and historical fiction in a mythic way. In his new film, The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then the Bigfoot, icon Sam Elliott stars as a legendary American war veteran who is recruited to hunt a mythical creature. In this exclusive interview, the writer-director discusses the importance of a character's regret, his fascination with Mr. Rogers, storyboarding various timelines with intention, not being too rigid with an independent film, and his passion for the paranormal. The two movies that had the biggest effect on me growing up were uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, because that, that when I saw it for the first time, it just... I mean, obviously, it must have been so much fun for those people to make that movie and to conceive of it, and and I was just fascinated with it. I'd watch it over and over again on VHS, and uh, and then a few years later, I might have been 11 years old or something like that, and I saw Mate Wan, uh, the John Sales film, at a friend's house about the Virginia coal miners' revolution. And that kind of told me the types of movies you could make, that you could still make something incredibly entertaining and, and you could say something at the same time. So those two movies were really formative for me. And what were some of your early experiences like? Did you start with shorts or how did you kind of lead to, to the film you just created? Yeah, a bunch of, a lot of just short films with friends in high school and, and then uh, a longer 40-minute piece that I did in, when I was about 19. Um, and then I, I went into journalism at UMass. I didn't think there was really a pathway to film here in Massachusetts. And so I just thought I'd like to be a writer and I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll cover important stories that are, that are worth covering and highlight things that are worth revealing. And, uh, somehow got pulled back into film through a comic that I did at, at UMass for the, uh, Daily Collegian newspaper. Uh, and then, some years later, got pulled into producing uh, Lucky McKee's film, uh, The Woman. I was a co-producer on that. And then uh, a film that I helped restore and recut and recolorize called Carolina Lowe for Sean Bridges and Nick Searcy. And then um, uh, the short film of Elsie Hooper, the comic that I was doing at, at UMass that kind of drew, drew the attention of John Sales and Douglas Trumbull. So, uh, but a lot of years for all those things. It was about you know, uh, going back to 2003. So, how do you um, satire might be the wrong word, but do you use fiction in a way to kind of highlight the things you're thinking about reality? 
Yeah, I think that uh, early on when I shared this script with John Sales, he felt that uh, science fiction and fantasy have always been kind of a Trojan horse for the bigger ideas of who we are and where we're going. And he saw that very much as being a function of this project. And so I was using these 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 pulpy mythic elements and then the reality of World War II and war itself and the effects that it has on a person all in kind of a, a mythic way or as a parable might be or even the bedtime story for adults. So uh, that, that was definitely the function of this project to be um, to, to, to kind of be a conduit for things that I needed to get off my chest and questions that I was having about the, the world we live in and the type of people we, we might want to look up to. I saw an interview where you said you kind of came up with the title within the first uh, maybe 10 or 15 pages. You know, if this were given as an assignment, it would sound like something fun, but how did you stick with it? How did you know you could, you know, complete this whole story and, and tie all these elements together? I, I think it was once I understood um, who the character was and pulled those two timelines apart and realized that I, I wanted to write a story about an older man looking backwards over his life. I think that that's when it started to kind of flow. And I, I was thinking a lot about Mr. Rogers and I was thinking about um, Norman Rockwell caricatures and just this kind of, uh, this, this inherent goodness, but inflict a, a cruel and violent world on a guy like that and see what it does to him. Um, and, and that was something that I wanted to write about. Cause I feel like there are probably a lot of uh, soldiers and a lot of, people in this world that, that exchange their life in the service of others um, doing something that's counter to how they feel deep down inside who they are and what defines them. And these heroic actions or the violence that they were forced to commit, uh, they feel it defines them. And this movie is trying to say it's, it's something else that, that marks a person for, for who they are. And, and I, I hope that, that message is received as people discover it. What was your, to get a little more technical, what was your storyboarding process like? You've got kind of a mixed genre, you've got multiple timelines. How did you, you know, begin to plot this out and, and move the story along in a linear progression? Uh, I would just draw hundreds of storyboards at my kitchen table and they, they I had a, a pegboard with the movie all mapped out in different timelines and, and what locations all of these things were happening in and, and they were colorized so that I could, could think about them in different ways. Um, but often I was just drawing a lot of conceptual designs and storyboards uh, right from the script. And uh, after a certain phase, the team had come around enough uh, to support this thing that that we weren't changing the script much when we actually shot the film there's no there's no real there's no changes to the script there's no dialogue uh, that we that we altered nobody was uh, um, making stuff up on the fly the movie is very much what as it was written and that came with a lot of planning and a lot of um, intention in the storyboarding and then also remaining loose enough because it's an independent film that you can't be so rigid because then my expectations would be, um, you know, I'd disappoint myself trying to be so uh, a slave to the storyboard. So it also involved knowing when to pivot and adapt to the realities of an independent film shoot. So, um, and that's often just listening to the team around you and, and keeping an eye on the on the clock and knowing how many shots and how many setups you're going to get to in a day. And, and it's, it's more important to tell your whole story 
than to to have a three fourths of a story um, that maybe is a little more cinematically grand, or or maybe you dialed the performance into absolute nth degree, but you didn't tell the whole story, and that was again something that John Sales told me to expect was. Uh, the time crunch and to be mindful of it so that you can, you can get this entire story told. So like when I saw the title, you're, you're kind of expecting maybe a wild ride, but the trailer seems very, you know, it's very serious and very beautiful. Um, outside of that, what kind of actual research went into this or is it mainly just a character piece? Did you have to go and, you know, investigate anything about either, you know, Bigfoot sightings or World War II or did they, where'd you kind of start with that? Well, I, I, I'm an avid listener of Coast to Coast AM, and I've heard a lot of the Bigfoot researchers, and um, I, I just enjoy that. I enjoy listening to people speaking about aliens and the paranormal, and and uh, I think it's great fuel for creative ideas. And um, I thought that you know, with this with this story, the the research that really went into it is just having a, a, a good understanding of World War II, why it happened, how it happened, and the idea that um, Hitler is spreading a plague in much the way the Bigfoot is, but Hitler's plague is ideas, and that when when he's dead, those ideas live on without him. Um, and that's much more important than the killing of Hitler, is that his ideas um, were persistent, and that they still have echoes. Right now, if we watch the news today, it's still... It's still there, um, and I felt that that was a theme that I wanted to explore. So having having enough understanding of of, of the, the mechanism of World War II was important, and then knowing the Bigfoot enough to actually try to do different things with the creature. Uh, he's not a big hulking seven foot eight foot creature. He's as tall as a man. He's maybe you know six feet tall. He doesn't have big feet. Um, he's going blind. He's you know 200 years old. He's lonely. He's uh, innocent, um, and he's sick. And I wanted this much more soulful, haunted version of the Bigfoot, even though it has you know only so much screen time. I wanted that to be something that would be felt as as different than what we're often told about the Bigfoot. So in addition to the you know, mythical aspects of the story, uh, I saw an interview you did where you kind of said that you're we don't have to go into this, but aspects of your personal life kind of led to you writing this script. Do you think it's something you would have written at a different time, or did it just kind of come to you because of you know uh, aspects of your history, things that are going on? It just kind of you're kind of as therapeutic, or how do you view the time that you wrote this script in your life? Um, I mean, the time that I wrote the script in my life, my my wife had just lost a a, a very good friend. My brother had been in a bad car accident, and it easily could have killed him. And I was just thinking about brothers, and I was thinking about what my wife, wife who was my girlfriend at the time, what she had just lost. And um, it just—I was just looking for answers. I was just writing. I was just writing to find answers. And, I, and I, again, I didn't have any means to make this movie at the time. It was just—it was just a, a, a writing exercise. It was something I was enjoying putting myself into and thinking about and solving these puzzles. Um, and then when I got to the end and finished it, I realized that there was something I could actually say here and something that was worth trying to actually get this made. And it, it would be difficult, but um, I felt like people might appreciate finding courage in a hero that shares a lot of our own frailties and, and the things that, that 
pain us the most. And, and I felt like that was worth trying to pursue. How did you uh, pitch the idea or discuss the idea with Sam Elliott and what kind of uh, made him, let him to do the project? Uh, our casting director, Kelly Roy, uh, brought the script to his reps. We had, we had talked about uh, a handful of people for this role and Sam was foremost in the, the, the group that felt right for this. And, and once he really clicked into our heads, it just felt very apparent that he should be the guy. And if he wasn't, I think it probably wouldn't have happened. I think another year or two would have gotten burned trying to figure this out. Um, so we sent it to his rips, reps and they responded well. And then Sam read it a uh, day before Thanksgiving in 2016 and called me right away and said, I'd like to do this. We had about an hour discussion about what it meant and why it was the thing that it was. And he said he was going to help me protect it. And he didn't want to change it at all. He just wanted to, he just wanted to stick to the words on the page. And that was a charge that he had to kind of the entire filmmaking team. Sam wanted to make this movie the way that it was written. And um, he came and did it. And, and he was incredibly prepared and very trusting and very open, incredible communicator and just a very, very good, decent, funny man. So it's just, uh, I don't think I could have expected that. I think that there was a part of me that, that wondered if it ever even would get made. So it was a, really a, a total surprise to me when it all started to come together. I, I'd been so used to it not happening that when it actually did, it was pretty scary. <laughs> well, Sam, he, uh, Sam Elliott definitely kind of embodies that all American man. I've interviewed another director named Brett Haley and they've worked together on, you know, two films in the last five years. What do you think kind of keeps him, you know, so active? And so he's got so many projects still coming out He's in his mid seventies. What, what is the passion that you see with him? I just see him looking for the truth in what he's saying and what he's doing. I think that Sam has things that he wants to say. And I know that that was something that, that drew him to this movie was it was an opportunity for him to put something out there that had a message without preaching. And I, I think that that might be it. He's just looking to illuminate characters and situations that we all feel and that we all maybe feel fear about or have experienced one way or another that, that touched us or, or wounded us. And I think Sam has felt those things as well. And he uses his craft as a, as a way to express those things and, and, and maybe let people feel like they're not so alone. I, 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 I never see Sam. He doesn't get, um, I don't think that it's personally rewarding to him, all of the attention all of the uh, fame and I, I, I've seen him when people approach him, he's very kind to them, but I know it takes a little bit of something from him as well because people are just so excited to see him and, and he gets that so often. I think, um, I think it can just be fame is a difficult thing and, and he handles it incredibly well. And he's very, very generous with his time. I've seen it again and again. So I don't know what it is. I think he's been entertaining people for 50 years now, and, and people just believe in his inherent decency, and, it, and it's real. Well, you can tell that you really you know, care about the project and that you put a lot of time and thought into the characters and the story. Is there any maybe technical advice you wish you had before that you're kind of in the aftermath now? Anything you, advice you wish you had or advice you'd want to pass on to someone moving from a short film to their first full feature? Well, I was trying to make the movie without having a really solid short film, and I know that that became a calling card that allowed people to trust me. So 
spending the time and energy to make a really, you know, a, a short that proved that I could do the things I was saying I could do was extremely meaningful to the people that, that kind of wanted to support this thing. And, and then I think the biggest thing for me was when you have kind of your dream project in your head, it exists in this very fragile bubble just outside of you and nobody can touch it. Nobody can see it. And it's this very perfect, fragile thing and you don't want anybody to mess with it. And if you're going to make this thing at some point, you have to pass that bubble around and a lot of people are going to touch it and a lot of people are going to inspect it and turn it over. And that involves a lot of trust and that involves surrounding yourself with people that you respect and admire because they're going to, uh, analyze it and they're going to want you to have answers for, for every single question. And as you get to the actual shoot, there's just a lot of trust, trusting people to their gifts because it's not just your movie anymore. It becomes a massive collaboration and, and everybody wants to do their absolute best. And if you give them the opportunity to do that and you encourage them and you inspire them, then you can actually do something different and something special and something unique. And uh, it came down to me learning that it's a, an enormous collaboration and there's a lot of listening and there's a lot of conversation and then ultimately knowing what you want and where your lines are always being respectful to people in the process and, and coming prepared. But I, I don't think that there's anything that I can say that will change the fact that if you care about people and you care about the work, you're going to approach it with a certain amount of fright because it's scary to actually go make the thing that you've been talking about trying to do for a really long time. So um, it was just a lot of inner emotions that you have to deal with when you actually get an opportunity like this. And I don't take any of it lightly. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to so many people. I can, I can never really thank them all. Um, the only thing I could do is just be prepared and try to make something that they could be proud of when all was said and done. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter where you also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.